0: Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Hey, church, how's it going? Woo! It's good. Even some applause. So, last week, uh, our power went out mid service. For those of you who were here, or if you were joining us online, that's why everything cut out. The power went completely out. So, Our bar today for a good Sunday is just the light staying on, okay? Is everybody cool with that? Like if we hit that bar, we're going to call it successful. my name is uh, Peter. I'm the senior pastor here. And a uh, couple announcements for you, just to make you aware of a couple more things. One, Christmas Eve services. Come, enjoy. They're going be, to be great. Kyle and the team have been working on those for a while now. Um, our budget year, like Jeff said, is coming to a close. So we run a fiscal year from January to December. And so the 31st, that's it. We've been trying to close this gap. We have this little overage. It's just been... Hanging on, and so if you are going to do some year-end giving or anything like that, we would love to uh, to make sure you get that in before the thirty-first. Um, and then, uh, lastly, I wrote an email this week. If you don't get our emails, we write emails fairly regularly um, out to you guys. And I wrote an email this week about the uh, the uh, mask mandate that came down from uh, from Governor Newsom. I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever that came out. Um, anyway. I um, Wanted to make you aware that actually they they changed the wording on that mandate um, for uh, religious services that we are actually exempt from that mask mandate. So myself and Kyle and Jeff, if you saw us not wearing a mask earlier, and you were like, "You guys said you guys were going to wear a mask," you liars. We're not lying. Yeah, okay? we're not trying to be hypocritical. We just want to make you aware that that language was changed about two days ago, um, and I was made aware of it. Uh, I think just yesterday, actually. And so, um, so we're not being hypocrites we are we are doing not doing what we said we anyway you get what I'm going so all that to be said uh that stuff aside let's get to the important stuff which is this stuff that we need to talk about Merry Christmas everybody um and if you can't tell it's Christmas by these trees and my sweater I can't help you um, I wear this sweater twice a year, and this is the second time, and then it will retire to my closet for another year. Um, but uh, but that being said, we're, we're walking through a series called Do You See What I See? And uh, in this series, we've taken a look at week one. We took a look at Jesus specifically, and when did Jesus see? When did he know about the incarnation? When did he know that he was going to be coming to earth and and we talked about the pre-existence of Christ that actually uh December twenty, like Christmas is not his birthday that's his incarnation right that's when he came and stretched himself into skin but Christ pre-existed before even time began and then last week we talked about Mary and when did Mary know and and can I just say for a second that you guys have some strong feelings about that song Mary did you know Okay, I just want to be clear because I threw that song under the bus real hard last week and I got some very vicious responses from all of you. And I just want you to know that the song should be called, Mary, You Did Know. Okay, so just for clarity's sake, if you're going to write a song about it, at least do your homework about that song before you uh, you move forward uh, in Luke chapter 1. That's all they had to do. But regardless, uh, today uh, we get to talk about uh, about Joseph. And we don't talk about Joseph a lot. Joseph is oftentimes a forgotten character in the Bible. Um, he's kind of like a side character, almost Mary's Uber, uh, as you will, uh, to uh, just get her where she needs to go. And the only reason I say that is because let's be, let's be honest for a second. If you have a nativity at home, and Joseph goes missing from that nativity. You just slide a shepherd in there, or you slide a wise man in there, like it's not that big a deal. But all of a sudden, Mary goes missing. We have to buy a whole new nativity. So we know that Joseph oftentimes gets forgotten uh, at at Christmas time, and honestly, in Scripture as well. Um, and so today, we do get to talk about Jesus's stepdad. And I say stepdad because, as we've talked about last weekend before, is that that Jesus was conceived between the Holy Spirit and and Mary and and then we have our guy Joseph, who's betrothed to Mary, and he's kind of left in the lurch, right? I mean, let me just propose a story to all of you guys out there, those guys who are married or maybe engaged or who will be married at some point. Um, if, if your, your, your fiancé comes to you and says, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant, And then she goes on to say, but don't worry, it's God's. Like red flags should be going off in your head at that point, right? Like I just want you to think for a second, like like Joseph not knowing probably at that, like like that would be an issue, right? That would be a problem for any of us in here. Like if Sarah came to me and was like, hey, I know we're engaged right now, and just so you're aware, I'm pregnant, going to have a baby, but don't worry, (laughs) it's God's, and so it's fine, you can just raise them as your own. Like, I'm going to have issues with that. I would have had issues with that. It it feels a little bit thin, if we're being honest, as an excuse. And so, uh, apart from the angelic visitation to Mary and the dream that we're going to read about that Joseph had uh, today, and that's going to be in Matthew 1, so if you have your Bibles, you can flip open to Matthew 1, or even the story with Elizabeth and Zachariah that we get earlier in Luke chapter 1, like all of those things uh, point to the supernatural happening, point to actually the truthfulness of this story more than anything else. And so as we're looking through it, what I want to do is kind of pull apart and dissect what it meant, like why it was that, that Joseph was the guy who got chosen. Because as we talked about last week, like Mary found favor with God, Okay, it actually even says that, like the angel, the angel Gabriel came down and said, hey, Mary, you have found favor with the Lord. Like, all right, sweet, that's pretty good. But for those of you who are dads, and more specifically, even maybe, maybe you stepdads in here, you recognize the responsibility that you have in raising those kids. And maybe not even just your biological kids, those kids that, that maybe are your wife's or someone from a previous marriage or, or even, even those kids who, who are adopted to you, recognize that responsibility that you have in your life. That that responsibility isn't lessened just because they're biologically not your kids. This is a, a massive deal, and so I think God was very aware, not just in who he was choosing with Mary, but I also think he was very aware in who he was choosing in Joseph, and we're going to look at some of his, uh, his traits today. So as you're, as you're flipping, though, to, uh, to Matthew 1, I want you to, to hear a little bit about one of the lowest points in, in my life, and outside of my, my, my dad passing away. One of the lowest points in mine and Sarah's life was the last couple years that, that we were in the high desert. That's where I served before, and that's when I was on staff over in the high desert before, and, and we had just felt like this yearning to come back to the Central Valley, and not just, not just on our own, but we felt like God was pushing us to what was next, and we have a deep passion and a deep love for the Central Valley. I know some of you guys who are transplants to here are like, that's weird. I get it, but we grew up here. Okay, I'm from Merced, or Atwater originally, I say Merced because no one knows where Atwater is. I'm from Atwater originally, and, and my wife is from Kingsburg. We graduated from Fresno State together. I served in ministry in Selma. Sarah Sarah was a teacher in Selma and, and, and grew up in Kingsburg, like, like the whole thing. We grew up on that 99 corridor, right? And so we had been moved out of ministry, and we went down to Apple Valley, or moved, not moved out, moved in ministry down to Apple Valley, and we were serving there for like five years, or I was serving there for five years. Sarah was cranking out babies. And, uh, and so as we are the last couple of years, like, man, I just, we just feel like this burden that God, God is really pushing us towards what is next, pushing us back towards the Central Valley. And so I started to go through school and make sure I had you know my resume where it needed to be, my experience was where it needed to be. I felt like my ability to answer interview questions was where it needed to be. Like, I was like, okay, God, like where, where are you gonna have us? Because I know that God, I am for sure that you are going to have us serve in the Central Valley somewhere. You would to put that passion on our heart without allowing us to serve in the Central Valley somewhere. And so then all of a sudden, every opportunity that Sarah and I got to be able to, to apply to a church somewhere that was in the Central Valley, like we heard about this church, we heard about this church, we we're like, let's go, like, let's figure this thing out. And so we, we, there was an opportunity at the church, mine and Sarah's former church. And so, and we walked through it, give them my resume, do a number of different interviews with them. I find out I'm to the last two and you know how you feel like you're like yeah I'm feeling pretty confident about this like you've nailed all the interviews you think everybody's everything's going well and I'm just simply waiting for a phone call for them to extend an invitation for for me to come be their next senior pastor and then all of a sudden I got a phone call from a number I didn't know I was like yeah this is it and so I answer the phone and it is somebody I had never talked to before and uh, they just said hey we just want you to know that we actually we went with the other candidate man it's just like a gut punch we're like but god like yo god we know you're in this we know like like you have a plan for where we're going in our life like like this was supposed to be it and so we're like okay God we're good like like we're, we're gonna figure this out and so a couple months later I got a uh, I heard about a job at a larger church in Fresno that a friend of mine had had made me aware of and um, as a pastor up there and and so I went through their interview process and submitted all my stuff and answered all the questions and did all of those things and made it to the last two again I was like there's no way this happens again right like I nailed all of these questions like there's not gonna be an issue here at all and then that Monday morning I got a phone call saying hey we we went with the other guy. I was like, oh. So we went to another church and, and another church and, and, and doors were just closing left and right and left and right. In our head, we're thinking, God, we know, like we know that you have this for us. We know that we are supposed to serve you. We know that we are willing to go wherever it is that you would have us, but you've burdened us to do this one thing. So how come you're not allowing us to do this? And like I said last week, uh, Hanford wasn't on my top 500 list of places that I was going to move to, to do ministry. And it's not because I don't like Hanford. I love our community. I, I, I love everything about, I love most things about Hanford. This morning wasn't too fond of it as it took me like 20 minutes to get here in the fog, right? But, but the reality is, is that us being willing and us being obedient to whatever God would have for us, even if it looked differently, that was our responsibility as Christians, that was our responsibility to walk through that. And I know for some of you, it's probably, you, you may have experienced that. This idea that, that, that I just feel like God is moving me in this direction, or I feel like this is the direction my life is supposed to go, and so because of that, I am going to faithfully walk through it, and then all of a sudden, God maybe slams a door. So for some of you, maybe you're like me, and it was with work. You're like, hey, man, there's this opportunity at work. I, man, I have a, there's a promotion up, and I have the most experience, and I'm the smartest, and everyone else I work with is a dummy, so it should be a no-brainer, right? Like, I'm going to be able to get, to get this next job, and then all of a sudden the door gets slammed in your face. Or maybe it's even with, with having a family. I know it's a hardship for a lot of people that that you know you get married, you have these ideas that you're going to have lots of babies and and they're going to be your own kids and all of that stuff, only to find out that infertility is a very real thing, or or you conceive of a baby and then all of a sudden you miscarry after that, and all of these hopes and these dreams and God, this is what you have for me. I know you made me to be a mom or I know you made me to be a dad, but God, why is it that that you would put that desire inside of me and and all of a sudden? Man, and you just slam that door right in my face. Those are difficult things to be able to wrestle with because it takes an incredible amount of faith to walk through something like that, and at the end of it, or even more specifically, in the middle of it, as we see Joseph today say, hey, look, I'm gonna be faithful, I'm going to be willing, and I'm gonna trust that God is sovereign and good in the midst of all of, us, all of this, and that's what we see with our guy Joseph this morning. So, go ahead and flip to Matthew 1, 18. This is how we get, jo- get to Joseph's story. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So we talked about last week. Because Joseph was her husband, because Joseph her husband was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he not, did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so why Joseph? And let me be clear, right before this, right before this dream, all this stuff, if you look up to the very top of Matthew chapter 1, you're going to see a genealogy. You're going to see a whole bunch of names that most of you skip over when you're reading through the birth narrative, right? Like, I get it. You're like, I don't care who begat who, like, let's get to the actual story here. But this is actually incredibly important. Because we're talking about the idea, okay, why, why Joseph? Why this guy? His pedigree is actually important. Not pedigree like dog pedigree, like he's pure-blooded. But pedigree like the people who came before him are incredibly important to him being the guy. Okay, Matthew and Luke, they actually both ch- trace Joseph's family back to David's royal family tree. And so the prophecy, it required that the son of God also be the son of David. That's important. So we can trace it all the way back, the son of God, son of David. Joseph is a part of David's line. But we have to be clear, it's not just genealogy, right? It's not just like, oh, your DNA matches this dude's DNA. Perfect, we're good. Like it has to go beyond that because surely there were other DNA matches uh, of people who came from David's line. I mean, based on the sheer amount of wives and concubines that Solomon had alone, we know that there's probably many, many descendants of David. So, there has to be something more than that. So, there's a number of reasons. I think the first reason that we see that God chose David was because of, or God chose Joseph was because of Joseph's belief. In the first century Palestine, Israel, like that era, we need to understand that there was actually no legal difference between being engaged and being married. They were the same thing. Engagement and marriage were actually the same. And so, kind of think of it like like baptism. Right? When we do baptisms up here, we do what's called the believer's baptism, meaning that you have had to already place your faith in Christ before we get to celebrate your baptism. Right? So, so that contract has already taken place between you and God when it comes to, come, comes to baptism. You're saying, yes, I, I'm going to submit to you. You are the savior of my life. Like All of those things that, that, that we have to do to, to call ourselves a believer, that comes first and then we celebrate afterwards. So when we're talking about this idea of marriage, back in the day, this was the same thing. The marriage contract was already in place, okay? It wasn't like we were running up to marriage like we are now. Like engagement and marriage, I always say engagement is kind of like a promotion, but without a pay raise, right? It's more responsibility with none of the benefits of being married, okay? That's not the case here. Like this contract is in place, but they have not yet consummated their marriage, and so legally speaking, at this point in time, man, these two, they were essentially married, but they hadn't consummated that, that marriage at, at this point. And so to get unengaged, they had to do more than just cancel their wedding. They actually had to get a divorce. That's what's going on here. Joseph had an out though that was both legal and also moral. He could have divorced Mary on the grounds of adultery and moved on with his life, and no one would have batted an eye. No one would have been upset at him about that, right? Because you got, hey, your your fiancé is pregnant. Clearly, it's not yours, or at least you're saying it's not yours. All right, yeah, I don't blame you, man. Move on with your life. You don't want to be any part of that baggage. And no no one would have blamed him at all. But Matthew 119, going back to it, it says, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. So that divorce was allowed both according to civil law and according to scriptures. This was okay. This was above board, which is one of the reasons why God calls Joseph righteous in this whole thing. He says, hey, look, he's a righteous guy because of the way he was willing to go about that. He wasn't going to throw Mary under the bus or anything like that. And so before you all prematurely jump to judgment, we got to remember Joseph's point of view here. His wife is pregnant and the baby is not his Most likely thought that Mary cheated on him and then lied about it and said, no, it's God's. And it seems like God commends him, though, for for desiring to keep that divorce under wrap, but but chose Joseph for the job because he knew that Joseph was going to do the right thing. He recognized Joseph's faithfulness in the midst of all of this. But it's one thing to be faithful, it's another, it's another thing to show compassion and to show mercy in the midst of your faithfulness, which is why I think this is the second reason that God chooses Joseph. It's because Joseph is merciful and he's compassionate in the midst of this very, very difficult situation. I mean, he, he handled this, this situation in a compassionate way to prepare to divorce Mary privately instead of humiliating her publicly, which he had every right to do. You know, being, being righteous means doing the right thing in the right way. And that's what we see Joseph doing here. And this is the kind of dad, this is the kind of father that God chose to raise his only son. We have a, a faithful and merciful and compassionate man raising God's only son. That's why when I think about this story, I think to myself, man, it's not just Mary. Mary gets a ton of the credit, but, but, but Joseph he had to be a man who was willing to teach Jesus all the things he needed to know, to follow in, to, like, like to, to do what he was supposed to do, to be a good little Jewish boy and learn the law and learn all of those things that, that needed to happen. It's the kind of father God chose to raise his son. Like good fathers, good dads, and we know this—they they don't intimidate their kids, they don't humiliate their kids or anything like that. Like God called them to love and lead their family well, compassionately, mercifully, teaching them the things that they needed to know. And so, Deuteronomy twenty-two twenty-one, it gave actually Joseph the legal right to have Mary killed like as her betrothed husband, as her fiance in the bible, in the law of the bible. Joseph had every right for Mary to be killed. It was rare, but it could have happened. You know, we don't we don't stone people these days anymore. We just simply sue them or bully them on social media and we call it good. But that could have happened. And I meet, like, as a pastor, I meet a lot of, a lot of pastors. I meet a lot of people in leadership and that sort of thing. And there's some pastors that I really like. There's some pastors like, hey, I want you to be a part of my circle. I want you to mentor me. Teach me how you got to these different spots. Um, and then there's other pastors that I don't like. And I can always tell the difference between the two. And I say pastors, so we're talking about leadership here. Um, I can always tell the difference between the two based on if we go to a restaurant, how they interact with the help at the restaurant. Those servers, Right. Or those people who are making minimum wage jobs, hoping for tips and that sort of thing. Like, like those ones that you want, and you know, those ones that you want to be surrounded by, those those good leaders, those good people, And they treat everybody kindly and fairly. They're not above any of those people. They're compassionate. They're merciful. You know, find a hair in their food. Hey, look, this is gross. Can you get me a new one? I know it's not your fault, but can you please take care of that for me? Yeah, as opposed to getting on your your ivory tower and condemning the people who are doing their best just to make a buck for their family. And so I can tell the difference. And one of my favorite pastors that, uh, I mean, that I mean, was my pastor, was, was Tom Mercer. He was the pastor at High Desert Church. And, and so Tom does, he, he travels, he speaks, he's got a massive church and a, a huge following. He's wrote a couple of different books. Like, like, but, but if you sat down and have a conversation with him, I guarantee you a couple of things. One, he'd be wearing jeans that were cool back in 1992. He'd be wearing shoes that were never once cool ever he'd be wearing an LA Dodgers t-shirt and he would talk about how bald he is like that's just who that's just who tom is right he's a humble guy very unassuming so i got an opportunity to travel with tom though cuz it's one thing to see him like at work, at church, all of those things, but I got the opportunity to see Tom as he was like the speaker, right? So Tom traveled everywhere with his wife. That was a rule. He wanted to be above reproach, and so he was never putting himself in a situation that, you know, someone could call into, you know, just be like, "Hey, what what happened there?" He wanted to always be above reproach. And so oftentimes he would even travel to like South Korea. He went to Australia, like all these crazy places where if he wanted to to engage in sin, like he totally could have, but he refused to. He always brought his wife with him. So in this instance, his wife was waiting for their daughter to have a baby. And so I got the phone call. Not because like I'm anybody great. I was uh, in my late twenties, and I could carry stuff, and so he just needed someone to carry all of his stuff around for him. So here I am, just like lugging Tom's books around for him and all everything. Um, so I got an opportunity to travel with Tom, though, and so. The, the longer that I was with him, the more that I was impressed by this guy who was a megachurch pastor. He had every right to be prideful. He had every right to be arrogant. He had every right to, to be on that ivory tower and be like, I'm better than all of you, you know, all of those things. But Tom, he took care of all of the arrangements. I didn't have to lift a finger. When we got into Chicago, it was like 11 o'clock at night. He treated me to deep dish pizza. It was fine. I think it's overrated. Um, but yeah, I know all of you were wondering, oh, this is good, man. Nah. Um... Costco is just as good. I was just kidding. Some of you guys are going to come at me for that uh, later on. We got into like 11 o'clock. We had like a four hour drive in front of us. So Tom was like, hey, I'll drive. So Tom jumps in the car. It's 11 p.m. and, and he drives us all the way down. I think we were like in Indiana or something crazy like that. Like he just drove the entire way. I never once had to pay for a meal, never once had to pay for coffee, never once had to pay for any of the snacks that I had or anything like that. He was like, I'll take, I'll take care of that. As we were in the car, he talked about life. He talked about my ministry. He talked about where I wanted to go in life. He was, he was supremely concerned with me and who I was and, and wasn't self-serving. He, wanted, he, was a, he was a humble man. He was a real deal regardless of his stature in the church community. He was incredibly humble. Even as we were, went to this, these different restaurants over the course of the three days that we were traveling together, I mean, he shared the gospel a number of times with different people who he encountered. I mean, this guy was humble. This guy was merciful. This guy, like as I talked with him more, I thought to myself, this is who I want leading me. This is who I want in my life. This is the type of person that I want to make sure that I am following close behind. And so, as we see Joseph here as a leader of his family, as he's leading Mary, as he's leading the Savior of the world, we see a man here who is merciful. We see a man here who is compassionate. We see a man here who is full of faith. And oftentimes we think of guys like that and we're like, oh yeah, merciful, compassionate. He's probably a doormat, right? Everybody's just gonna walk all over guys like that. He's the guy who opens the door and 30 people come in and he never once walks in. He's like, oh no, yeah, you go first. Like, we think of it as, as that guy. But one of the things that's true about people who are both merciful and compassionate is they also have to be courageous if they are gonna continue to stand up for what it is that they believe. And so we see that same courage in Joseph, that I believe God chose Joseph because of his courage. You know, some fear is healthy and normal. Fear of death makes us drive slower, hypothetically, right? Fear of of repercussions kind of prods us to tell the truth, to to talk to our spouses or our friends or our church members or our CPAs. Fear of being stoned for your fiance's indiscretion is a good reason to keep from marrying her. Joseph had a fear of that. He could have been punished for this as well. This isn't just a Mary thing. This is a Joseph thing. And his options weren't obvious. There was no easy way out of this jam because if Joseph couldn't prove that Mary was unfaithful to him, the divorce idea could backfire. He had to be able to prove it. Deuteronomy 22 18 and 19 it says then the elders of that city will take the man and punish him this is assuming he can't prove that his wife had had, had been uh, uh, unfaithful to him it says they will also find him a hundred silvers of shekels and give them to the young woman's father because that man gave an Israelite virgin a bad name she will remain his wife he cannot divorce her as long as he lives So this assumption is, it's not that Mary cheated on him. This is what the law is talking about here. Not that Mary would have cheated on him, but that the two of them engaged in premarital sex. And so because of that, he can be punished for it. I don't think I can overstate what a huge step of faith this was for Joseph to believe Mary or the angel of God in his dreams. This would have been a massive deal. And, and even the idea of divorce at this point, like if he decides to stay faithful to Mary and he's like, hey, I'm gonna stay, stay married, but you got pregnant, so we could be on the hook here for some punishment and I'm gonna owe your dad a whole lot of money. Like we have to get to the bottom of this entire thing. So like this step of faith is huge for him. He's essentially condemning himself even though he did nothing wrong. And so I've had dreams that seem really real like, I don't know if you guys have dreams like that. I don't dream a ton, but when I do, it's like almost frightening for me because I'm like, Ugh. it's one of those dreams where like after church, you lay down and take a 20-minute nap and four hours later, you have no clue where you are, right? You guys have been there. You guys know those, those naps. Like how could Joseph verify whether this baby was a result of Mary's indiscretion or God's intervention? He couldn't. That's hard. And so the options here aren't, aren't good options. Joseph displayed incredible courage by trusting God instead of his own feelings. And we have a hard time with that, right? Like Western Christianity, like being in America, like American dream. Like, no, I can trust myself. I can trust my own abilities. Man, this is the land of opportunity. I'm going to white knuckle and bootstrap until I get that white picket fence as hard as I possibly can. Because that's the American dream and that's what I do. I'm going to control that situation to the best of my ability. And we think that. And we think, no, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And ultimately, we need to say, hey, God, like whatever it is that you would have for us, that's what what it is that I need to do. I'm not going to trust my own feelings in this. I'm going to trust you in this. And that takes courage to be able to do. That takes courage, essentially, to stand up to, to everybody else's preconceived notions about what is right? And so Joseph here, he accepts this leadership role as a husband. He accepts the leadership role as a father incredibly bravely. And so should each and every one of us. Right? If our family has problems and you're about to see your family's problems because Christmas Eve is coming up, maybe we should pray over those people instead of panicking over them. Right? We've all seen the bumper stickers before like prayer. Prayer. It's the most you can do. It's like, okay, Christians, like we got another cheesy bumper sticker. But the reality is it's true. And if we simply stuck to that more often, maybe we would save ourselves a little, a pa- a little panic and a little anxiety when we can't control a situation that we find ourselves in. Joseph could not control this situation. There is no ana- amount of white knuckling this guy could have done to control this situation. He simply had to trust God in the midst of the entire thing, and that takes incredibly courageous faith. And for us, ensuring that we aren't doing our best to lean on our own abilities, but rather seeking God in the midst of the chaos to see what it is that he is doing and wants to be done, man, that's hard, and that takes courage. And God, lastly, I believe, not just because he was courageous, but God also chose Joseph because he was willing Joseph was willing to walk into this. Verses 24 and 25 in Matthew 1, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. He was willing. He was like, all right, hey, whatever, you, like God, what, whatever you say, I am willing to walk into that. And, and, and that is difficult to be able to do. Like this, like being, complying with God is the result of all these different things of, of having faith and having compassion and, and being courageous. Like all of these things mixed together is why Joseph is compliant in the midst of this thing. Like, like Joseph took a pregnant Mary almost 100 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. He Ubered her, excuse me. Then from Bethlehem to Egypt, 760 miles. I'm not even doing that with my kids in a car. Like, forget about the way that they traveled, right? And then, and that was with the newborn, by the way. And eventually, he'd have to backtrack at least 900 miles from Egypt back to Nazareth, and he would have had to take the long way around to avoid trouble that was going on in Jerusalem. Okay, so Joseph wasn't chosen because he was a smart man. He wasn't chosen because he was a rich man or a famous man. Joseph was chosen because he was a willing man, he was obedient to what God had. He was chosen because regardless of the circumstances in which he found himself, he was willing to honor God even when it wasn't in the way that he, would, that, that he assumed it, it should be. This has to be true in our lives as long as we call ourselves Christians. I think all of us assume in some way that this is the way our life is going to go. This is the way that God is going to use me. I'm a teacher, and so because of that, he's going to use me in the teaching field. I'm a doctor, so because of that, he's going to use me in the medical field. I'm an agronomist, so he's going to use me just in the actual field, right? Like whatever it may be. Some of you guys don't get that, and I, I love saying the word agronomist because I had no clue what it was. It's a plant doctor, right? Plant doctor. Anyway. So that's what oftentimes we assume, though. We're like, hey, God, like, man, you have me in this field, or you have me as a dad, so you're going to use me as a dad. You have me in this field, so you're going to use me in in that field. But so often we forget that God is going to do what he wants to do, and his will is going to be done. At the end of the day, we have to be okay with that in the same way that at the end of the day, Joseph had to be okay with what God had for him. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27, it says, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. We think so often we have the whole thing figured out that, that we know the best way. We know how we're going to honor God. But in reality, God is sovereign and only he knows how it is that we are going to be used. And oftentimes it has nothing to do with the way that we would have assumed. I'll end with this. When I was, when I was in college, um, I had th- three roommates and we all lived together in Merced. But we also had these other two roommates they were like unofficial roommates you guys know the ones who were like always around but never paid for anything right you guys know those roommates um and so one of them was uh was my friend's brother his name was grant he had just graduated from the medical field or from being a doctor medical he was a doctor um and so he was always around, but, but in order to finish you know, his degree, he had to go and, and serve in these different places. And so Grant went and decided he was going to go to some of the, the poorest locations near Merced to be able to serve those people well. He thought to himself, hey, I'm a doctor. My responsibility is to, to help heal people. I'm going to see how they're sick and write those prescriptions or give this advice or whatever may have been. And I'm going to help cure people. That's how God's going to use me. And that's what He's did. That's what He did. That's what He's done. He even married another doctor. That's probably not why, but it may have helped, right? And so the two of them were doctors, and in his head, I'm sure he thought, I'm gonna to go to medical school, I'm gonna become a doctor, I'm gonna help all of these people, we're gonna pop out a bunch of babies, we're gonna live happily ever after on a farm somewhere with a lot of shiplap and all of the things, right? Like like that's the goal. That's the American dream. And so that's what Grant had intended. I'm sure that was even the case, uh, and, and they have four, four beautiful kids. But, but two weeks ago, something tragic happened. Is that Grant's, Grant's one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, she, she contracted E. coli. And she contracted E. coli from, from her cousin, so Grant's niece, and it's been incredibly devastating, two weeks, and most of us think like E. coli, okay, were they just eating like raw cookie dough or whatever like they warned me about? Like this is a very severe form of E. coli, and so both of these little girls, both of whom are under two, year old, two years old, are currently up at Valley Children's Hospital in the ICU. Their names are Isla and Eleanor. Granddaughter is Eleanor, but Isla so far has gotten the brunt of it, where Isla, even up to four days ago, She was on ECMO, a machine to make her heart beat. She was intubated, so she had a machine to make her lungs breathe. And she's on dialysis to make her kidneys function. Even now, Eleanor as well, Grant's daughter, is on full dialysis because her kidneys are not currently functioning. And so here we have a guy in Grant who he assumed that God is going to use me to help heal people. God is going to use me to help cure people. God is going to use me in the medical field. And now he has someone who who he loves more than anyone else on this earth and his youngest daughter who he can do nothing for. He has to sit there and simply rely on God to do what it is that God is going to do in the midst of this situation. He can't white knuckle it. He can't bootstrap it. He has to simply sit and recognize that God is going to use this for his glory regardless of the circumstances that he finds himself in. Grant's brother-in-law, the father of Isla, his name's Randy, and they've been going through an an incredibly hard time as well, obviously. Their, Their daughter is the one who's very sick. And so he wrote this Just the other day and I wanted to read it to you. Actually he read it yesterday, in the midst of all of this. He writes, Isla's dad here. We're grateful for all of you who have prayed, loved, fed, and supported us. The prayers of God's people have propped us up more than I can explain. We're living in the moment and not even thinking beyond the next hour at this point. Every time we have a plan for her for her care or think that we have direction, things change. At this point, it's beyond evident that the Lord is guiding this whole process all the way down to the most intimate details. Our sweet Isla is a living miracle. I hope to share more stories of those miracles someday. I've realized in a very clear way that we could have no breath in our lungs or beats in our heart without the sustaining power of Jesus. This became very real on Tuesday evening when things took a sudden turn in the afternoon. Isla coded three times. Each time it got to the point where the doctor, in the midst of all the controlled chaos, said, I don't have a pulse on her. I was able to hold her hand and pray and tell her how much we loved her. And by the second time they said, No pulse, I felt the Lord put on my heart, Be still, Randy, and know that I am God. So I just sat by Isla's side in silence. And each time after CPR compressions and chest shocks, the doctor would yell, I have a pulse. I really didn't know if God would bring her out of that situation alive, but I felt the peace that only God can give in the nightmare of a moment. From that situation, they immediately started to stabilize her to put her on ECMO for her heart. She's still on ECMO and dialysis, and these amazing machines are acting for her, for her heart, her lungs, and her kidneys. was able to move her arms and feet a little bit. She's opening her eyes, and yes, still biting down on her toothbrush when the nurses try to brush her teeth. In my whole life, I've never completely surrendered everything to have full dependence on Christ. I thought I had. But after this experience, I realized how far away I truly was from that full dependence. I am there now, God's word has fed us and sustained us. So I know you guys are all hoping for an update on Isla and Eleanor, and so um, Isla, a couple days ago, actually I think it was just yesterday, um, uh, she's the one who was in really, really bad shape, Um, They were able to take her off of ECMO and her heart started beating on its own. Um, They were able to remove the, the intubation tube. Her lungs started working on their own. This is a little girl who's, by all intents and purposes, four days ago, she should have been with the Lord. And God continues to move and God continues to work. The prayer for both of them, for Isla, the prayer for Eleanor, is that their kidneys now would start functioning so they can wean them off of dialysis as well. But here we have a number of people, parents, who assumed that the way that they would glorify God was everything but this. They assumed that, that, that they were going to glorify God in their profession or they were gonna glorify God in their families, they were gonna glorify God by, by serving in a soup kitchen somewhere. I don't know the way, all the ways that they assumed, but, but it definitely was not going to be this way. And so let's look back at Joseph. Here we have a righteous man who's doing his best to follow the law, being a good Jewish man. He says, I'm going to honor God and all of these things. I'm going to honor the law. I'm going to get my, my beautiful wife and we're going to have a family and we're going to pop out a bunch of little Jewish babies and they're all going to be carpenters and do all of those little things. And then God drops this dream in his lap. And he couldn't white-knuckle it. He could not change these circumstances if he tried to change the circumstances. All he had to do, all he, all he did was be willing in, the mid- it, like in that moment in the same way that, that Grant and his wife and Randy and his wife, they can't white-knuckle this, they can't change their circumstances. But they can willingly submit to God in the midst of this entire thing, recognizing that even when God disrupts our plans, even when God disrupts all of those things that we assume we are going to accomplish for the kingdom, we recognize that he is, he is righteous, that he is sovereign, and that at the end of the day, that he is good. And so my challenge to you today, and I know that, and I pray that that's not the situation you find yourselves in with a loved one in, in a hospital somewhere, But regardless of the chaos in which you find yourself, regardless of not being able to control whatever situation that you would find yourself in in the coming weeks, regardless of the chaos of Christmas, where maybe the worst thing we have to put up with is a crazy uncle that we can't stand, in the midst of all of that, that we would recognize that we need to be willing to do what God would have us do. Not change the situation. Pray over that situation and faithfully, willingly, courageously, and mercifully move forward in the midst of it to honor God with our lives. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for today. And this wasn't a fun, cheery Christmas message or anything like that. But God, we pray that we would be willing to enter into some of the difficulties knowing that That you're in control of it all. At the end of the day, that you're sovereign. You know what's going to happen. And that you do it all for your glory. And so, God, I pray that we would be willing to submit to that. That we would willingly submit to you and your will and what you would have for us. In the same way that, that Joseph couldn't take control of the situation, but he was found righteous because he was willing to do what it is that you had for him, God. So, Lord, I pray that we would be righteous in that same way, simply by being willing to do what you would have for us. That it wouldn't be, hopefully it wouldn't be up in a hospital somewhere, but maybe it's simply being willing to have a conversation with people in our lives who we know don't know or honor you. To introduce them to you. To even take advantage of the fact that more people are willing to say yes to coming to a Christmas Eve service than any other church service besides Easter. God, that we would enter in into those things. And God, specifically right now I pray for for Isla and Eleanor. And their little bodies, God, who are both one and a half, two years old. God, I pray that you would strengthen their hearts. I pray you would strengthen their lungs. God, I pray that you would heal their kidneys. God, heal them. God, I pray that you would be with Randy and his wife and Grant and his wife as they do their best to navigate these waters and just submit to what it is that you would have. That they would continue to recognize that none of us have air in our lungs or a heartbeat apart from you sustaining us. So God, I pray that we would submit to that as well. Father, cure those babies. Father, maybe even for us as we we think about situations that we can't control, that we need to be willing to enter into, it starts with you and it starts with your son and us submitting there. And so if you're here today and maybe you haven't been submitting yourself willingly to God and what he would have, if that's you today or maybe you never have, with heads still bound for the first time or for the millionth time, you can, you can join me in praying and say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that I'm constantly falling short of you, but I love you regardless, and B, I believe you sent your Son to die on the cross for me, and C, that I would choose to follow you every single day, even when my circumstances are chaotic, even when my circumstances are beyond my control, that I would be willing to enter into it, Father. So I love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.